Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Paulo Dybala's move to Roma has been one of the most standout transfers of the summer. Is the Argentine the missing piece in the Giallo Rossi's crown as they look to win a Scudetto for the first time in over two decades? And with Neymar set to stand trial over his move to Barcelona later this year, is the Brazilian's legacy in danger of being eclipsed by off-field drama? I'm Jonathan Johnson and I'm joined by Michael LaHood and special guest Robin Berner of footballtransfers.com to unpack both of these stories before we dive into a preview of the Scottish Premiership season, which kicks off this weekend at the one and only Tony Macaroni Arena. King Olasso podcast begins right now. This is the last week to nominate Kei Golasso for the best sports podcast category in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. We appreciate all that you guys do for us, and we hope you enjoy our show enough to nominate us to advance to the final round. To nominate Kei Golasso, go to podcastawards.com forward slash app forward slash sign up forward slash, and then toggle on down to the sports category. It doesn't need to take long. It helps us so much. Link in the description. Mike, how are you doing, my friend? I know it's still been a, a bit of a task for you this week, uh, readapting to, to being away from Mexico and, uh, and the beautiful <laughs> beaches there. Well, I'm doing very well now that I've been reacquainted with my best friend, the C-word, coffee. And JJ, raise your glass because I feel like you showed us something in there that may have been a little shaken, not stirred. That's water or? or It's, it's anything you want to imagine that it is. <laughs> Either way, I like to think it helps with my performance. Ah, brilliant. You're always a five-star performer, JT. You know that. Uh, much appreciated. And uh, no further ado, we'll bring in Robin Banner as well of... Uh, tr- of ah, Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say transfermark.com. Uh, do you want me to redo it as if it's just been Mike and I, or do you want uh, no, you, me you to No, you can just pick it up there. Just say without further ado, and, okay. and I'll, I'll pick it up. Cool. And without further ado, welcoming in to make his debut at footballtransfers.com's Robin Banner. Robin and I go back quite a way, uh, given our coverage of French football over the years. So I'm delighted to finally have him on the show. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. And uh, thanks for finally inviting me to the show. It's great to be here. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. Well, we're not going to start in Scotland or in France just yet. We're going to start in Italy and Serie out with Roma and whether or not we feel that they're Scudetto contenders now that they've completed the signing of Paolo Dybala. So let's look at the situation. Dybala linked for a long time with Inter Milan, ends up signing for Roma from Juventus. 
it kind of got to a point this summer where it was almost like nobody wanted Dybala. Is that how you felt, Robin, covering European transfers at this moment in time? Yeah, absolutely. But Dybala is not the only player who's been in that boat. We've seen that, um, even Cristiano Ronaldo. So it's it's not an unusual situation he's found himself in this summer. Obviously, he's a player who's been used to picking up big wages at UVA. He seemed to have agreed a new deal at UVA over Christmas time. Uh, that fell through because of Vlahovic's signing there. Um, and then he kind of fell, kind of found himself in, in limbo almost. Um, and it's in, it's Roma he finds himself at, Jose Mourinho. So it's going to be interesting to see how a player like Jubala fits in under the Portuguese. And do you think it's a it's a good fit, Mike? Uh, you know, do you think that it's the Rome is a place that Dybala can you know recapture his best form because it's not really a typical Mourinho signing. We haven't seen guys like this necessarily thrive under the Portuguese. I think it's a fantastic place for him to thrive because this is a team that came off winning a European title, the, the UEFA Conference League title against Feyenoord last season, and this is a team that has a target striker. And Tammy Abraham, look at the last time Dybala played with a target striker. Gonzalo Higuain, Mario Mandzukic, good things happen when this talented Argentine attacker has a focal point to play off of. I think there could be something special brewing in the Italian capital. And you look at the business that Roma are doing at this moment in time. You've got Matic, Celic already through the door. Uh, they've been linked with uh, Gini Wijnaldum as well, which will be music to the ears of uh, Paris Saint-Germain fans. Uh, is, do you think that this is Roma's business done uh, so far this summer, Robin? Or do you expect there to be a number of moves, including potentially the, the Dutch international? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on on who goes out the door. Um it seems that they'll keep Tammy Abraham now, which is obviously huge for them. Um, you know, Wijnaldum would, would add a lot of quality to their midfield. Um, I guess there's a, a a question mark in in terms of what happens with Zaniolo if, if he stays. Uh, but Roma are looking very strong and I think Jose Mourinho will be quite content if he can start the season with this side. I think that if you look at last season's lineup in the Conference League, Final in particular, you have Tammy Abraham up top as a lead striker. Pellegrini, he's a player that is becoming the new prince of Rome in the vein of a Tati, and he's not Tati, but in the vein of what Rome, Roma does with promoting a youth academy product to become captain. He's taking responsibility over this team. And I wonder if from a 3-5-2, if it becomes one striker with two attacking mids with Dybala and Pellegrini, the guy who misses out in that, Zaniolo. I think the, the fact that he's been injured for quite a bit last season, coming back late in to deliver a big trophy, is, is going to kind of hurt his case. And it's Paulo Dybala. This is a player that in a season where he was on the outs for Juve, he still scored 10 goals in all competitions. I think 10 goals in Serie A, excuse me, and three Champions League goals. I mean, this is a player that still has quality, and he's still scoring on the international level with Argentina. He just has that moment of brilliance that he can give Roma against the top six or seven other teams in Serie A. I'm going to give you a record that Roma has against high-quality competition in the league. They are 2-7-1. and one. Those seven losses have all come by one goal or more. And that tells you they just need a magician or someone who, who can just produce that final action in the box because they can compete with the top teams in Serie A for about 60, maybe 70 minutes before they get done in. I think, so, too, yes. 
I think too, if you look at the the, the presentation for uh, Jabal the other night, it was absolutely spectacular. The the fans were out chanting, flares everywhere. I think that's the sort of atmosphere that Jabala can really thrive in. I think that will really inspire him. Yeah, well, it's actually, it feeds into the point that I was going to make based off of what Mike was saying, where, you know, basically the kind of player you're describing they're missing is like this Totti-esque figure. And then you look at the greeting that Dybala got from the fans and it's almost like, it's kind of like they they recognize that they have somebody who could potentially be that kind of figure for the team. And I, I do think that he has the potential to, I wouldn't necessarily say talismanic because we know what his injury issues have been like over the last couple of years. So you're, you're probably going to get him available at the very best for 75% of the time. But if he can be at his best for the majority of those games in that 75% of the season, he really could make the difference. Now, uh, Mike, what are we expecting from Mourinho in year two uh, of his stint in Rome? I think that we're going to see a little bit more of the same, but with a twist. They're going to be a very sound defensive unit, and I think defensively they've gotten better bringing the experience of Nemanja Matic. It was his third stint with Jose Mourinho, maybe his fourth. Wherever Mourinho goes, Matic goes. And Mourinho went to Antarctica. Matic would be there in his Serbian you know, peacoat sitting, playing defensive midfield for whatever reason. But you need some solidarity in the middle of the park that sets up the mantle for your front three in Pellegrini, Dabala, Zaniolo, and Tammy Abraham. And the, the fact that they got Selic, Ziki Selic from Lille, league uh, champion. So he has championship experience, two players that have championship experience that now is an upgrade for a Roma team that is is pretty solid with Chris Smalling at the heart of that back three with a back three that – can compete, like I said, for 60, 70 minutes against some of the top teams in Europe. But it's just going to be that little bit of quality in the final third. And I think this team is is being set up to say, hey, you front three or front four, go and win us this game. Go and compete in Serie A this season. Were you intrigued by the move of uh, by by Roma going for, for Celic after the season that he had with Lille, Robin? Yes, absolutely. I, I don't feel that he was at his best with Lille. And obviously Lille were a team that in general struggled they they had big issues away from the field as well um they were never a team that looked uh, comfortable as champions i guess um so it was an interesting move but i think he's shown in the past he's got this attacking quality that that can really add something to a, a team like roma um but equally he's a sound enough defender which is obviously attractive to Mourinho. that's what he's going to to base his team on first and foremost so I think it was a surprising move that he he ended up there, but you know it kind of makes sense if Mourinho feels that he can get Selic back to his best. Yeah, absolutely. And a, an added point in that is this is a Roma team that was competing without one of their best players, and he's not an attacker; he's a left wing back, Spinazzola. Remember him from the Euros, team of the tournament. This is a guy who I think was his Achilles or something on his left foot tore it, season done, came back towards the very end of the season. He gets a fresh start. And now when you have two attacking wingbacks, can Spinazzola get back to his Euro best? I think if you can get that, then now you have a supply line for the likes of Apollo, Pablo Dybala and the other attackers. I can't believe I called him Pablo. Pablo. <laughs> Pablo. <laughs> the Colombian Dybala. Pablo Dybala. But I, I think that there's something brewing, the fact that you're getting healthy players. My one concern with Roma is the depth. So many players leaving. You have Under, who went to Marseille. 
You have Julian Clivert. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? This is a team that is not really dependent on wingers because they have wing backs because they play a back three system. It's almost a three, five, two or one striker with two attacking mids. If they're going to compete, they need to get the likes of a Gina Wijnaldum losing out on Henrik Mkhitaryan going to Inter Milan. I think if Mkhitaryan would have stayed, then you have a team that could possibly be competing for much more, but they're going to be a tough team to play against. Well, before I quiz you guys on whether we're going to see Mourinho getting further ink at the end of this coming season, Robin, I'm going to go to you first because Mike put some pretty controversial opinions out there about MLS yesterday. <laughs> in your in your opinion, has Serie A weakened uh, in terms of uh, Roma potentially being able to make a title push this coming season? Uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, you've obviously looked, we see... Well, Romelu Lukaku, for example, going back to Inter, which is a major signing for them and for Serie A in general. Um, it'll be interesting to see the the business that Milan can do as the champions. Um, I wouldn't say if Serie A is necessarily weakened. Uh, I would, I, I would, I would consider it to be around the same level as it was last season. Um, but let's wait and see. Let's wait and see till the end of the transfer window. Um, I would suggest that it will still be a very competitive league. It will still be a very interesting league. And actually, it's been one of the best leagues in Europe to watch in recent years because it's kind of shed its reputation as being so negative. It's been very open and there's been lots of goals and lots of excitement. So long may that continue. I think the influx of talent, foreign talent coming to Syria. Let's go back in time when Syria was the best league in the world, not just in the 90s, but in the early to mid 2000s or most competitive league in the world. That's because they had quality influx of foreign talent to couple with Italian talent playing at the highest level. You're getting better and better talent, young talent coming to Syria. Now the question mark becomes, can the Italian national team get back to being the Italian national team that we know that, that we've seen in the past? I think that latter factor is what is maybe holding Syria back from getting back to the golden era. But the fact that it's competitive, the fact that Juve is not the only team winning league titles year in and year out, the fact that Inter won one and then Inter repipped to one by their rivals AC Milan, this is the Syria that we knew that was one of the, the standard bearers in world football at one time or another. Well, British football fans got treated to a reminder of those glory days when Scamacca was unveiled by West Ham and they had the uh, Gazetta Football Italia theme tune, which will mean nothing to Mike Lahoud, but may well mean the world to uh, to Robin like it did to me just hearing that. Uh, the, the intro music from that program uh, over his uh, unveiling. All right, well, I mentioned Mourinho and potentially getting inked up in the event that Roma win uh, another title this coming season. Let's have some quick predictions. Robin, I'll ask you for yours first. Where we think Roma are going to be finishing uh, in the Serie A table and if they might pick up a trophy at all in the coming campaign? Uh, I think they will finish fifth. I think they'll just miss out on Champions League. Um Will they pick up a trophy? Probably not a major one. Um, yeah, I yeah fifth. Fifth, no trophy. Simple prediction. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I was so tempted. You know, it's amazing what happens when the power of caffeine, because without it, I would have been like, they're going to win the league. As JJ has heard me make absurd predictions, but I am in a good place. We're not talking United, so I'm in my best Zen place of all time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fifth and even sixth. I think that unless they get a Wijnaldum, unless they get a little, a couple more pieces to add depth and and you know 
dynamic movement in the midfield and in certain other places and to shore up who's going to back up Tammy Abraham if he goes down. Big question marks in, with regard to the depth of this team. So I think fifth or sixth is a comfortable place. In terms of cups, though, this could be a team that challenges for a Coitalia should the likes of an Inter, should the likes of a Milan make a little bit of a run towards a Champions League knockout round or beyond. Oh, interesting shouts. Well, I'm going to differ from you both slightly. I'm going to say that Roma finish in the top four, and I'm going to say that they do actually go on and win the Coppa Italia, and I fully expect Jose Mourinho to get that Coppa Italia tattooed across his chest, <laughs> rip open his shirt, and, and show off his uh, his granddad bod with uh, with his new ink. So that that brings us to, to an end of our Serie A section. So let's move on over to a, a kind of a mixture of Lali and Ligue 1 because obviously Neymar plies his trade with Paris Saint-Germain in France these days but the news this week surrounding the Brazilian and let's face it he's never far from the headlines is that there is a Spanish court investigation into his move from Santos to Barcelona now we've already heard Neymar sort of hinting that this might be his last World Cup this year there's been a lot of criticism of him for his declining performances with PSG over the last couple of years. Now, Mike, do you reckon that this, you know, trial impending, uh, it's supposed to happen around October time. Do you think this is another distraction for Neymar from the World Cup at the end of the year? Absolutely. His club situation isn't even certain yet with Kylian Mbappe, the new sporting, I mean, player, star player for PSG. And hey, his his best plight is going to be to make sure he buys Mbappe a few more rounds of cocktails and Instagram posts to ensure that he can stay at PSG for a couple more years. That aside, this happening in October, less than a month before the World Cup starts, that's a massive distraction. The Brazilian national team will not welcome this and Neymar will not welcome this because there's a sense of freedom and escape that the Brazilian national team brings for him. He's thousands of miles away when he goes for qualifiers and Brazil allows him to play and be the main man that he so desperately wants to be. And his talent is deserving of, I think this is going to cost Brazil in the end, should it keep dragging on. And what do you make of it, Robin? I mean, obviously corruption is is quite a strong word and it's not the first time we've seen Neymar, uh, you know, have to go to court as well, especially since he moved from Barcelona to PSG. But do you see this, uh, you know, first of all, distracting him from being able to start the season well with PSG and then potentially with a view towards the Brazilian situation at the World Cup at the end of the year? I mean, I have to echo Mike's thoughts and that it has to, it has to distract Neymar. It's such a big issue. In, in terms of his life, his his uh, whole well-being, I guess, like mentally, he's kind of hinted at previously that you know there might be problems there um, in the past, and obviously this is an extra stress that he doesn't need, um, and it's a huge stress too. It's it's a serious stress. Um, so will we see the Neymar as best? I think he he came towards his best last season i i felt towards the end of the season he he has he really raised his level he raised the bar it was more like the neymar we expect uh but this season it's going to be very difficult for him with this hanging over him and i think so much depends on on how he starts the season if he can start the season very well he he can potentially build from that but if he has a slow start like he did last year i think he could be in a lot of trouble and obviously his transfer situation is not going to help this at all. 
Well, it's interesting because a former teammate of his weighed in uh, on his struggles uh, in Paris. And uh, you will know more than most sort of Thomas Meunier is, uh, is, is, is a guy who sort of divides opinion given the way that he left PSG under a cloud. But, you know, that aside, sort of him coming out publicly and hinting that the, Brazil, the Brazilian superstar lost his magic uh, after moving to Parc des Princes, is that something that you would agree with? Or do you think that that is Meunier just trying to put the cat amongst the pigeons once more? I mean, uh, Meunier's done this several times, hasn't he? I mean, yeah. he's, he's talked about the party culture at PSG um, ever since he left the club. Do you, do you, do you think he just simply misses it? <laughs> wishes he was still there. I think he, I think he probably wishes he had never gone in the first place. To yeah. be honest, it, it really doesn't seem like his sort of place. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think personally that a lot of Neymar's issues have come down to to serious injuries, which haven't necessarily been his fault. There's been a lot of contact injuries there at key times of the season. You know, he's missed three or four months at a time because he's been tackled roughly. Um, so maybe I'm defending him a little bit here, but I think he probably deserves that. Um, I don't think his PSG struggles have necessarily all been on him. Certainly he's had a part to play, but I don't think it's boiled down to this is all about Neymar and this is all about his love of the party culture. I think there's more to it than that. And to be honest, I don't think he's given that credit sometimes in the media. Hmm. Robin pointing the finger at Thierry Loret and his Strasbourg team a few years ago when they used to go in quite hard on Neymar. Mike, do you think that Mounier's comments were justified? I think there is an element to that. And also it's a, it's probably a, a player who's trying to justify why he left. No player ever wants to be shown the door or to leave a club that it just didn't go the way. And I agree with you, Robin, that I, I was very surprised when Munier went to PSG. I didn't think that was a good fit. He seems to be an industrious player. We saw that in the World Cup for the Belgian national team, and we continue to see that in his current career. But there's just a feel – it's Paris. I've I've only been to Paris once. JJ, you're going to give me the tour when we go in the fall. I mean, it, it, you're, it requires a lot of discipline. I like it to – some of the American football or American athletes here in the in the NFL and NBA and MLS, see, I'm doing it, <laughs> who go to the New Yorks, who go to the LAs. It requires the D word, discipline. And But to, to pin all of that on why PSG and Neymar have struggled on just the party culture, I, I think that's a bit harsh because PSG have had way more issues than that. I think it's a culture culture from top down for PSG. The win at all costs pay players at all costs to win this one trophy at all costs. I think that's the the core issue with this club and with this team in years past. Yeah, I think that would be justified. And I think as well, uh, you know, both of you have raised really interesting points. <clears throat> Robin, the fact that, you know, there is a lot of physicality involved in Liga and a lot of, and a lot of his issues were picked up sort of in domestic games where he didn't necessarily need to be involved as uh, in, in as key a role as, as he had at those times. But also Mike, you know, completely right as well that, you know, maybe there is an overemphasis on certain aspects, uh, you know, of, of what goes on on the pitch at, at PSG and, and targeting certain successes and maybe not enough discipline on the player's side as well. So I think the truth probably lies somewhere in there. We're going to go to a break quickly. Uh, and then after that, we're going to come back and we're going to delve into some Scottish premiership looking ahead to the new season uh, with our guest, Robin Berner. So we'll be back shortly. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is 
is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we are a nominee for the best sports podcast category in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Vote for Kay Golesso at podcastawards.com forward slash app forward slash sign up forward slash and then toggle down to the best podcast category. You'll find the link in the description. Welcome back to Kegel Lasso, everybody. Delighted to say that as well as Mike Lahoud, I'm joined by Robin Berner, and we're now about to look ahead to the new Scottish Premiership season. So Celtic back as champions of Scotland, and we're looking ahead to the second year now of uh, Ange Postacoglu. Robin, how did you feel that the first uh, year of, of his reign went, uh, and what are you looking forward to in the second I think there's no doubt that Postacoglu's first year at Celtic passed extremely well. Um, there were some hiccups at the beginning and there was actually some really pretty serious criticism of of Postacoglu uh, as early as August. Um, some fans were ridiculously claiming that he should be sacked and should never have got the job in the first place because of his history in Japan. And uh, there was perhaps a sense that he wasn't quite up to to the stature that a club like Celtic demands. Uh, but post that, uh, they were just simply outstanding. They were the best team in Scotland by an absolute street. They ended up winning the league very comfortably. Um, they played some breathtaking football, some incredible football, particularly at home. Uh, however, it wasn't flawless. Um, but they failed to win any of the Cups. They also uh, struggled in Europe. They were knocked out of uh, the, the Champions League. Uh, the Europa League and the Conference League. They were the first team, I think, anywhere in Europe to, to achieve that unwanted hat-trick. And particularly the way they went out of the Conference League against Bodo Glimt was, you know, rather embarrassing, to be honest. This is a, a Celtic team that, like you said, won the league. And when you're a team that wins the league in Scotland, you got to do some business to to shore up to the team to, to be able to compete in Europe. Talk about the summer transfers. What sort of business have they done since winning the league? Uh, well, Postacoglu's transfer policy since he came in has been one that's unusual for Scotland. He's he's picked players from Japan, from unfashionable leagues, um, Argentina this season. Um, but the main business he's done has been shoring up the team in terms of the loan players that he had last season. So Diego Jota has has joined permanently from Benfica B. Cameron Carter-Vickers is probably the key signing for them this summer. He's joined up from Spurs on a permanent basis. Uh, and they've also signed some uh, some familiar faces to, to Scottish football. So Aaron Moyes joined up from uh, a team in, in China. Uh, obviously, he had a, a lot of um, playing time in, in the Premier League at Brighton. But the transfer, the transfer business that they've done hasn't actually been that significant in terms of strengthening the teams any. Um, we've seen Maurice Jens come in from, from Lorient on loan, but uh, in terms of major signings, they've not actually made their team so much stronger yet. And I'd be interested to see just what they're going to do over the course of the next month to take that extra step and to give Postacoglu that extra push in Europe. 
All right. Well, in terms of players to watch, uh, who do you recommend that uh, Mike and I keep an eye on uh, this coming season for Celtic? Well, I mean, obviously last season we had Carter Vickers, who is a guy you'll know very, very well in the States. Uh, he was named in the SPFL Premiership Team of the Season. And there were many people here who felt that he should have been named as Player of the Season just because his performances were so consistent. He was such a rock in the heart of that defence. Uh, in terms of the sort of offensive line, uh, you're undoubtedly looking at Kyogo, uh, the Japanese forward. Uh, he was a he had his troubles with injury, but he was supremely exciting. He was absolutely lightning quick. Uh, he's certainly a player. He's 27 years old, but he's definitely a player who we we can look for to take another step up and and you know potentially uh, move into the Premier League. Um, but for sure, I would I would say Kyogo. You've got Giacomakis there as well. He's a, a much more sort of workman-like player. Um, and in the midfield, you've got Rio Hitati, who's another player that uh, Postacoglu brought in from Japan, another wonderfully exciting player. And of course, Matt O'Reilly, uh, the, the Dane, who's made such a big impression since joining Celtic. And this is a, a Celtic team. And I watched the old firm derby this past season the Aussie we've talked about him in terms of Australia's World Cup campaign and he wasn't there how do they replace Tom Rogic well Rogic is an interesting one because he was a player that's divided opinion among Celtic fans uh, there was a feeling that Rogic slowed the game down too much um, Postacoglu wants to play very very quick football very quick attacking football and although Rogic is a wonderfully technical player it's it's complicated fitting a player like uh, like him into the team that, that Postacoglu, or sorry, into the system and style that Postacoglu wants to play. Um, I, I think he was a, a a bit of a square peg in a round hole, to be honest. Um, and I, I don't think they'll have too many problems moving on from him. All right. Well, you can catch Celtic against Aberdeen on Sunday at 11.30 a.m. ET on CBS Sports Network. And now moving to the other side of the old firm divide, you've got Rangers who will begin their campaign against Livingston at the Tony Macaroni Arena. That's on Saturday, 7 a.m. ET on CBS Sports Network. And Rangers as well uh, are a club who changed manager uh, during last season. Obviously, Steven Gerrard joined my beloved Aston Villa. Uh, and that created an opportunity for an emotional return uh, to Ibrox for Gio Van Bronckhorst. And although Rangers, you know, sort of didn't didn't enjoy the kind of season they wanted domestically, they did have a very impressive campaign in Europe. Well, what did you make of, of Van Bronckhorst's time in charge of Rangers so far? And what are you expecting sort of in his first full season in charge, Robin? Yeah, I mean, obviously losing Steven Gerrard was very complicated for Rangers because of the timing of it. Um, halfway through the season, they, they looked in a good position to to do well in the league at that stage. And, and for Van Bronckhorst to come in and, and try to uh, pick up from where Ger Gerrard left off was complicated because he's a, a manager with different ideas and a different style. So that was difficult. Um, and I would say he was probably disappointing in the end in terms of the league performance because they finished so distant of Celtic last season. Uh, but this is offset, of course, by the wonderful run to the Europa League final. Uh, they had the, had the lead in that match uh, and they were obviously lost on penalties. So 
Van Bronckhorst did a solid job. He didn't do a spectacular job. Um, certainly this season, Rangers will be looking to, to take another step forward and to really push Celtic in the league title. Whether they can do that, I think is questionable. Um, he's still got something to prove, and particularly in, in old firm get matches, uh, they need to they need to improve. Well, something that has been across the transfer headlines: Rangers players going out to certain teams. Calvin Bassey gone, Aribo gone. How can this Rangers team that reached the final, as you said, that were so close? to reigniting European history, get back to having a sustainable league campaign and sustainable season campaign, given what they've lost? I mean, it's going to be complicated because, as you mentioned, Bassi was such such a, an important player for them in that Europa League campaign with his... Uh, just the all-round game was impressive. Uh, I mean, I know there was a lot of people that pinned the goal in the final the goal they conceded in the final on him but I think that was unfair I think he had a tremendous campaign and, and really grew at Rangers um, he was a player that a lot of people didn't think particularly highly of when he arrived but he was he's a club record sell now to Ajax um, which shows just his, his value to the team uh, and obviously Joe Aribo was a player who had been there for, for a long period and, and had contributed heavily to their success in terms of how they improve, how they go forward from here, it's going to be complicated. Um, we saw them comprehensively beat West Ham in a friendly, though, and they also run Tottenham close at Ibrox last weekend. They had the lead in that game and lost 2-1 to a couple of Harry Kane goals. Um, the signings they've made haven't been uh, as expensive as the outgoing, so they've got a little bit of transfer money there. Perhaps that's something they can play with, particularly if they do well in Europe, in, in the initial stages of Europe. Um so again, like Celtic, it's a little bit of wait and see at the moment to see just how they can progress between now and the end of the transfer window. Mike, do you think that Van Bronckhorst stands any chance of replicating and channeling you know, that positivity from that Europa League run? Or do you think that was sort of a, a, you know, a sort of one-time thing uh, and it's going to be very, very difficult to, to sort of live up to that benchmark for him for the rest of his time uh, as Rangers manager? I think it's going to be a bit of a lightning in a bottle moment for them. And their chance came and gone during that campaign. This is a, a Rangers team that Van Bronck, of course, inherited because of the work that Steven Gerrard did to be able to get good loanees, to be able to get English players in, injected into Scottish football and also good, solid Scottish players within the ranks as well. And I think Gio is going to have to go to England or try to maybe go to the Netherlands to use his influence, to use his network, to try and get loanees, to try and get other players. They're going to have to do a bit more work in the transfer window because looking on paper, this team that's playing right now, I just don't see it. I just don't see it yet in the same vein that I saw it last season. All right. Well, we kind of alluded to it earlier where you've got a bunch of uh, Americans now playing in the Scottish Premiership. We'll just go through a quick list of those. You've got the likes of Cameron Carter-Vickers at Celtic, who was already mentioned. You've got Joseph Efford uh, at Motherwell, Ian Harks at Dundee. Uh, you've got a, a pair of guys, Paul Vara and Ramirez at Aberdeen. And then you've got James Sands and now Malik Tillman as well uh, at Rangers. Mike, who who out of these guys are you most looking forward to this coming season? I'm at, I imagine sort of Tillman at this moment in time is something of an unknown quantity. Uh, and after that, we'll, we'll move on to, to Robin and what he expects from uh, some of those USMNT stars. 
I'm going to keep it in-house to make up for my MLS blunder yesterday, not just because I have to, but because I want to. Christian Ramirez, this guy was the outcast at Houston Dynamo, shown the door, goes to the most unlikeliest league that suits him, the Scottish Premier League, and he cannot stop scoring for Aberdeen. I think he's going to be uh, – he's a story already in the making. And it reminds me of how he arrived to Major League Soccer before getting to the SPL. He was an unknown commodity, a guy who always had to work, a guy who wasn't seen, who I don't think was as appreciated, arrives in Major League Soccer and plays for Minnesota United and cannot stop scoring in year one. His biggest issue has been how to replicate what he does in year one. He's very good in that initial year. Can he take the next step and find consistency in year two? We'll find out very soon. Yeah, just to add on from that, um, Ramirez is obviously a guy who's not necessarily settled in Aberdeen either. His his wife's apparently unhappy there, and she caused a bit of a stir with a social media post earlier mm-hmm. this year. <clears throat> uh, but beyond him, I mean, I'm excited to see Tillman, to see what he can produce. He's not a player I know an awful lot about, but uh, if, if things click for him in Scotland, he could be a, a very exciting a very exciting prospect indeed. And obviously I mentioned before Cameron Carter-Vickers, who was absolutely outstanding last season. He's one of the league's best players and he could become one of the league's flagship players if he can follow that up with another strong campaign for Celtic, which I think he will do. All right. Well, Robin, you're the resident uh, Scottish expert for this episode. So are there any other teams that, that you feel are worth keeping on coming into this season? I know that Hearts in particular sort of finished quite comfortably third. Uh, do you do you expect them to, to kick on and maybe close the gap on Celtic and Rangers? Or do you feel that the gap might be bigger than ever? It's obviously very difficult for these teams to compete with Celtic and Rangers because the financial disparity is absolutely enormous. Um, Hearts seem to have signed well. Uh, They've added Scotland international striker Lauren Shanklin to their team, which should make them more competitive. It will hopefully make them a little bit more consistent. Um, And last season we saw an incredibly tight league. Celtic and Rangers at the top were relatively evenly matched for a long time. Hearts were miles inferred. Uh, they were third even at the split. So uh, for the last five games, the top six play each other and hearts were already guaranteed third place. So absolutely, I think they'll finish third again. Beyond them, you could just about throw a blanket over the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so tight last year. Um, I expect Aberdeen to, to become much stronger again. Uh, they should compete with hearts for third. Hibs have had so many false dawns in terms of revivals and it seems like they're going to have another one this season so uh, if I was making a prediction Celtic first Rangers second Hearts third and Aberdeen fourth all right that brings us on nicely to the predictions round so Mike LaHood I'm going to ask you first for your champion your top scorer uh, and the relegation Jesus champion <laughs> I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Celtic I, I think until I saw some Rangers in the transfer market um and and what they do to replace some of the pieces that they've lost uh, Celtic is still the team to beat and Rangers will finish second in terms of top score hmm you have to come to me back you have to come back to me on that one I got to think about that one I'm gonna leave it to Rob. Fair, 
Fair, fair, fair enough. Well, I'm I'm going to jump in on the back of Robin's advice, and I'm going to go for Kyogo and uh, and Celtic to be champions. And I think relegation is probably one for more for Robin's expert eye than ours. Yeah, I think I'm I'm going to start at the top. So Celtic for me, as I mentioned before, I think they're the strongest team. They've got the best manager. Um, I don't see a problem with with them winning the league by eight or nine points this season. Top scorer, um, since you went with Kyogo, I'm going to go with Giacomacus simply because he's a centre forward and should get plenty of chances. Um, Celtic are a team that scored bundles of goals, so I, I think it's going to be a Celtic player for sure that's going to be top scorer. So Giacomacus for me. And in terms of relegation, oh, I, I, I think it's going to be one of the Saints teams, St Johnston or St Mirren. Mm. Um, I'll go with St Mirren. Any raise on your top scorer uh, pass, Mike? <laughs> ah, man, you know, I'm going to get in trouble for the saying this, but uh, Christian Ramirez. <laughs> fair, <laughs> We're going full ML, MLS bias today. No, <laughs> no raises. I'll, I'll go I'll go with uh, the status quo. <laughs> Actually, I do have one question sort of before we before we move away from the, the Scottish Premier League and say goodbye. And that's for Robin sort of with the split in the table. I noticed something interesting when I was doing a preview of the season earlier. You've got Livingston, who I think they split off into the bottom half, yet they finished with a greater points total than the team who ended up fourth. So how how does that kind of work? Because I know you've got a couple of leagues around Europe, like Belgium as well, that do these kind of like splits. I think Romania do one as well for like promotion, relegation. It's how sad I am when I get on live score. I check out all of these different European leagues. But no, I'm just curious to know how it sort of worked out when you see a team like that from the bottom half finishing with a better points total than some of them at the top. Yeah, it's absolutely bizarre. And I think this happens, it's happens most seasons because the middle ranking teams in the, in the Premiership are, are so closely bundled together. Um, and they are, they simply finish seventh. Um, it's, it's as simple as that. They, they, it's not like they, they move up in, in ranking. They, they stay where they are. So it's effectively becomes two separate leagues and Livingston finished top of, of the relegation league, as they call it. Ah, interesting. All right. Well, we're going to move on to final thoughts, but I'm going to put an interesting, well, I consider it interesting spin on things for final thoughts and ask both of you for your opinions about Scottish football's recent renaissance on the European scene. And if that's something that we think that the league can continue to to kind of grow and nurture uh, on the continental scene, or is this something that you know is this perhaps as good as it gets for for Scottish football? So, Mike, I'm going to let you go first, and then ha- let Robin have the final word. Well, let's look at how we got here. A good SPL involves getting Rangers back in the Scottish Premier League and have having Rangers and Celtic compete again, neck and neck. And though Celtic won the league comfortably, there was a moment where they were competing. And I think that gets the best out of both teams. In seasons past, the fact that they were competitive meant that they were able to compete with some of Europe's best for the Champions League group stages. And now we're seeing that Rangers' Europa League run, I wonder if that is just enough fire in the pan to get them back to to pushing Celtic again, maybe not this season, but beyond. And the fact that you're getting higher profile managers, the likes of a Van Bronckhorst, I wonder how that hits the dominoes for other managers to come in who have history in the SPL to then impact young players. Yeah, that's certainly something that I feel as well. Um, in terms of 
the higher the profile manager, almost the better the player you can almost attract. We've we've seen that with Rangers in the past, um, with Steven Gerrard, and we're seeing it to an extent now with with the Van Bronckhorst. Um, in terms of Scottish football's European renaissance, sadly, I don't think that's going to be something that's particularly sustainable. Um, it's almost entirely being driven by Rangers. Celtic can certainly improve, but the coefficients jumped significantly because of Rangers' strong performances. Beyond them, we've seen a number of teams struggle. Um, Motherwell are currently 1-0 down on aggregate to Sligo Rovers, um, mm. which is, must be one of the worst Scottish football European results in history. Um, and uh, these these results just seem to keep churning out and churning out year on year. Uh, so we really need to improve the depth in Scotland before we can talk about a, a real European renaissance in general. Uh, it's just being driven by two clubs at the moment and really Scottish football needs teams to start making the Europa League group stages and, and the Conference League group stages before we can start really look, looking optimistically about the game, I think. If there was to be a third Scottish team that could really be a power in Europe again, who would you identify it as? Because we know that Aberdeen have quite a storied history uh, in Europe. Do you think you know, a revival for them perhaps could be, uh, you know, an avenue to, to more sustainable success for Scotland in Europe in the future? Yeah, for sure. I think Aberdeen or one of the Edinburgh teams, Hibs or Hearts, would, would make a big difference. Um, the fact that Aberdeen's a relatively large city and a, a one-club city effectively certainly would lend itself to, to Aberdeen being that team. Uh, particularly there's a lot of oil industry in Aberdeen, so there's a, a lot of wealth in, the, in, the, in the, the city in general, perhaps not so much in the last few years. But Aberdeen are building a, a brand new stadium, a state-of-the-art uh, ground and training facility. So they hope that this will be the catalyst for them to kick on again. And, and for them, that means taking a step forward in Europe and also closing the gap on Rangers and Celtic, which isn't impossible, but it, it will take a lot of work. And I do believe they have the uh, Mike Lahoud mecca of that uh, statue to Sir Alex Ferguson outside of the stadium as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that will have to do some inspiring of them, though, I think. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to K Golasso. Please take a minute to nominate us for the best sports podcast in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Link in the description. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're also available as videos. So subscribe to us on YouTube and you can visit us there. Robin, thanks so much for coming on with us. Uh, do you want to tell people before we finish up uh, where they can find your your work where's the best place for them to to see what you're working on yeah so uh, if you check out footballtransfers.com we're a new website that's basically covering everything in the transfer market um from analysis to news to features so definitely check that out please and you can see uh, in the screen, we've all got our uh, Twitter handles, so you can find Robin at, at Arbena as well. Mike, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for, for joining me, and everyone knows where they can uh, find you. So until next time, uh, look forward to, uh, to catching up with you then. And everyone else, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.